Hello and welcome to the second episode of Straight Out of Crompton. Thank you so much for coming back. I mustn't have completely messed up the first one. You're here again. Thank you so, so much for being with us. As you know, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about my own personal move from Manchester in the UK over to LA, hopefully in the next few weeks. But also each episode, I'm going to meet with different fascinating characters that have also at some point moved to Los Angeles to hear about what that was like for them, what were their experiences, what were the highs and lows, what was the reason that they moved in the first place. Last week, as you know, we had the fascinating Dwayne Johnson Cochran join us on the very, very first episode of the podcast. And can I just say, I have been absolutely blown away by the response. I mean, it was the very, very first episode of what I hope to be a really interesting series that will hopefully culminate with my move to LA and and the experiences that I have on the ground there. But goodness me, the the amount of downloads and the amount of feedback um, and the positivity. And I mean, from literally all over the world, we've had listeners from everywhere from Thailand to Australia to obviously the US and the UK and mainland Europe, Helsinki. I mean, whoever's in Helsinki, shout out to them. Shout out to my parents for sending it to everybody that they knew and asking them to listen as well. Thank you so, so much. It's been, honestly, I've been blown away and really, really motivating and and galvanizing and making me want to carry on and continue and forge ahead um, and hopefully make good progress with this visa application. Now, I'm not going to talk much about the visa this week because obviously it's a slow process. As you know, I'm going through this kind of protracted immigration situation and hopefully by the next episode I will have some updates for you but for now I really wanted to take a bit of a step back and go back a little bit more to kind of the origin story I suppose about why we decided or I decided to make this move in the first place as I've mentioned before I live in Sale which is an area just south of Manchester about 20 minutes south of Manchester we say it's Cheshire it's not technically Cheshire but everyone here likes to pretend they live in Cheshire because it sounds swanky but no we are greater Manchester Um, and it's a great it's a great part of the world you know for a single parent like like myself I have a son he's nine he's in primary school the schools here are great the support network is great there's so many other kids it's very very well set up for uh, families and young families in particular. I'm originally from Chorley, which is also here in the Northwest. Shout out to any listeners in Chorley. Woo! But I have actually lived pretty much everywhere, all over, which explains this very non-Chorley accent that I've developed over the years. So I went to university here in Manchester. I then, um, I studied abroad. So I actually did do six months in LA when I was 20, 21. And I also did spend my childhood sort of spending summers over there because I had family in Simi Valley, which is about an hour north of LA. So it was somewhere that I was relatively familiar with, somewhere that I'd always kind of aspired to, you know, I loved the weather, I loved the kind of vibe over there. But I went from studying in Manchester, I did my semesters abroad in Cuba and LA because I was studying um, American and Latin American studies, which hopefully will come in very handy when I'm in America and I have studied their culture. It means I also speak Spanish and Portuguese. Um, I then moved to Scotland for a little while, up to Aberdeen, and then I ended up doing five years in Mexico. From Mexico, I went to Ireland for a couple of years, and then I had my son and I ended up back here. So I've sort of boomeranged around a little bit. I've also done summers in Spain and kind of all over the place, but absolutely the last nine years being here in the northwest and I haven't been 
just in one part of the northwest. I have bounced around a little bit, but this is the most stationary I've been all of my adult life. And it's been the right move for Devon, my son, and it's been the right move for my family and to be close by and, and everything else. But um, yeah, it's not very me, you know, it's not been how I've lived thus far. And so, you know, the opportunity to move to LA came up and it felt, it, of course, it feels like a challenge, you know, moving on my own with a child, but it felt like something that the benefits could potentially outweigh the challenges. So, um, yeah, one of the other things, obviously, we've just all come out the other side of the pandemic, which just was never ending years of, um, you know, isolation and reflection and anxiousness and separation, and lack of travel and all those things. You know, I also um, lost my job during the pandemic. I was made redundant. And I think one of the things that became apparent to me during the pandemic actually was how I'm a very creative person. I really thrive off creativity. I thrive off being able to learn new skills, being surrounded by creative people, soaking it all up. You know, I spent a lot of time during the pandemic, I don't know, singing into GarageBand. I learned how to use GarageBand. I learned how to use iMovie. I had a brief foray into making parody videos on YouTube, which is something that I may long to forget at this point. I spent a lot of time drawing. I did some online classes and all of that stuff. So I definitely know that for me, the idea of being somewhere like LA or even somewhere like London or New York, being surrounded by creative people and a culture that inherently creates, you know, content or art or whatever that might be, is really, really appealing to me. And then, of course, I mentioned this last week, but we can't forget the weather. Again, during the pandemic, my parents were so incredibly generous and they opened their doors and they took myself and Devon in and we we stayed with them for, I think it was probably seven months. At times we all wanted to kill each other, I'm sure, but they were so great and, you know, they helped so much with the homeschooling and the childcare and all of that stuff. But one of the things that we did do a lot during the pandemic, much like everybody else, was we went out and we went on walks because it was pretty much the only thing you could do. And I will say from, I don't know, May to September, quite enjoyed those walks. The rest of the year, oh my God, I hated it. I hate the cold. I hate the wet. I hate the wind. I hate the mud. I hate, I hate it. In fact, yeah, we tried to go on a little New Year's Day walk last week and I ended up ankle deep in mud and I just downed tools. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I had a little tantrum. <laughs> and said I need to I need to go home like this isn't for me and my mum said oh why do you hate the outdoors I said I don't hate the outdoors I hate the cold and I hate the wet hate it and all of that leads very very nicely to being in a place where it's very rarely cold it's very very rarely wet and we can do stuff outside because essentially I become a hermit for seven months of the year when I'm here I'd love to be able to you know, go out on our bikes or go and do a hike or go and walk along the beach, even if it's not hot enough to sit on the beach, just be there, be outdoors, be in the sunshine, get that vitamin D. So all of those things were really compelling. And I think the final thing that really pushed me, and I think mainly thinking about my son here is, you know, he hasn't lived in other places, but he actually has a dual heritage. His father's Mexican. And even though I speak fluent Spanish, he hasn't really had the chance to do that yet. He knows the odd word. He has some degree of exposure to Mexican culture. You know, we have the odd friend or two here. In fact, 
again, shout out to Rosa. We're just about to go to her house for a Rosca de Reyes later to have a little bit of Mexican culture. But again, it's in kind of, it's in snippets, it's in bites. He's only been to Mexico once. He has some contact with his dad. He has some contact with his dad's family, but not a lot. And I think being in LA, I mean, LA, I don't know if you know this, but it has the second largest Mexican population of any city in the world. The only city in the whole world that has more Mexican people is Mexico City, which is unreal because I used to live in Monterrey in Mexico. I think there were 4 million people in the city. LA has more than 4 million Mexicans. So I think for Devon, it's going to be a real chance to understand a little bit more about his background and his his heritage and his culture and, and hopefully pick up some of the Spanish language along the way. So yeah, in short, there is so many reasons um, to take this challenge on. And I love a challenge. I love learning something new. I love being somewhere new. It really invigorates me. And I know that there are going to be difficulties and there are going to be stumbling blocks. I mean, we're right here in the middle of one, you know, even when we get there. And I think next week, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about some of those factors, you know, how, what we're thinking about accommodation and schools and you know, the various, the driving license, I don't know, the, the, all the various things that we need to get when we're over there. There's a lot, there's a lot to process. And if I'm honest, if I think about it, if I try to make a list, I actually think I'd find that list so overwhelming that it would put me off. So I'm kind of just dealing, I'm just kind of picking it off a couple of things at a time. So first up, the visa, the house, the school, and then the other stuff can wait. The other stuff we will look at in due course. It will be fine. We'll work it out. It will all be fine. Now, as you know, this isn't all about me. So each week we're going to have a different guest and I'm delighted now we're going to pivot and we're going to move on to our amazing guest for this week. I cannot believe how lucky we are to have such a fascinating character on the podcast. And in fact, someone that I haven't met in real life, someone that has come through word of mouth of of last week's podcast, which is incredible in itself that we've managed to get a guest through word of mouth just by the second episode. But he's a really, truly fascinating character. So let me introduce him to you now. Now, Brit Tarquin Gotch has been in the entertainment business his whole working life. He started backstage in the West End Theatre before becoming head of A&R for two major record labels, music supervising for John Hughes, including some of his most landmark films, including Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains and Automobiles and Uncle Bock, and then executive producing four of John's biggest films, including the biggest comedy film of all time, Home Alone. In LA, he also ran Fox's TV in-house movie division, where, among other things, he's made Fox's highest rating true life story, the OJ Simpson story, before heading back to the UK, which is where he joins us now. What a treat. Welcome to the show, Tarquin. Absolutely delighted to have you join us on our second episode. Um, I've already given you a quick intro, but I would love to hear it from the man himself. Tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Oh, gold. Um, <laughs> that's a, a tricky. Okay, uh, started in the music business and then um, went to Hollywood uh, and then came back. That's the bridge. <laughs> <abridged. laughs> well, all right. Uh, you know, A&R man for record company, signed acts, became a manager, uh, became a music supervisor for John Hughes, uh, and uh, continued managing acts. And then he asked me to um, 
run his company uh, in Chicago. Um, and that meant giving up uh, my music acts. So I went to Chicago, uh, which is very cold, unlike LA. Um, and I lasted three years uh, in Los Angeles making movies with John. I thought being a movie producer would be palm trees, beautiful actresses, sun. It's what you think, isn't it, Hollywood? And I made four movies with John. I produced four movies with John. And they were all in the dead of winter in Chicago. And I've got to say, it's a particular torture being outdoors in in Chicago. And I got in my Mercedes and I drove back to L.A. And I remember seeing the sort of skyscrapers of Chicago in my rearview mirror and thinking, (laughs) L.A., here I come. Because that is one of the great things, obviously, about L.A. is, is the climate. So anyway, then I went and then I ran Fox's TV movie division. Uh, worked with John Candy, sadly, just before he died. Okay, so now I'm I'm back in uh, Sussex. Wonderful, thank you. So let's let's dive in. Let's delve into it because I, I imagine you have got the best anecdotes. So let's go back to okay. So you were working in the music industry, and you said you were back and forth between. LA in the UK a lot was that is yes. that Chicago LA and London okay. I was living in London and going to LA a lot and and um you know spending a lot of time on aeroplanes and it was in the days when aeroplanes weren't crowded you could actually lie down on a whole row unheard of now um which made it bearable but it's no way to live really and I first went to LA in the 70s when I was a hippie and I thought it was the worst place in, on God's earth. I thought it was Babylon. It had, you know, there was just cars and no walking and uh, smog and noise. And I thought, this is the worst place. And while it didn't help that I was staying with some junkies in Pasadena. Right. <laughs> you know, and I didn't drive. So I was, I was trapped. And it, it, I just hated it. And I swore I'd never, you know, have anything to do with Los Angeles. And then I spent 20 years living there and brought up my kids. What happens to us, Laura? What happens to us? <laughs> but it is interesting, though, because I do. I have spoken to many people, even, you know, I've been, I've known I've been moving for about 18 months now, and multiple people who have visited LA, who have gone on holiday, and who have been like, I hated it. I hated it. It was too big. I didn't know where to go. I couldn't get around. But then when you speak to people that live there, they, they're hooked. You know, you do a few years in LA, and it's very hard to leave, I feel. That, that's right. It's uh, well, the, the visitors are like Dorothy Parker, who said it's 72 suburbs in search of a city. But for those, and, and also, there are certain cities welcome you uh, with open arms, like loose women. They go, Come on, have a good time. <laughs> New York is one of those cities, right? Chicago is one of those cities. You land in Chicago or New York, you go out that night. You'll find a blues club or you'll go, you'll find the action. It's not difficult. In Los Angeles, you have to know where to go because you're going to drive. So what, you're going to get in your car and sort of lean out the window and hope you hear the music coming from a club. No, you have to know where you're going. So it's an insider city. It's like a very demure lady that you have to take out for a long time before she lets you kiss her. (laughs) 
I love these analogies. I mean, I can relate. I um, studied at UCLA as an exchange student. So we would be talking two, 2001, I was there. No, 2003, apologies, because I was about to turn 21. I turned 21 while I was there. So I remember going over, first of all, and not being able to drink, you know, having been able to go out here for, I mean, legally for two years and, you know, at least three years before that, but, you know, in the UK, it's quite chill. Um, And then going over there and not being able to do any of those things and not wanting to go into dorms on campus because I thought, well, you know, I'm my third year of university now. I've been there. I've done that. I'm going to rent a room. So I ended up renting a spot out in Santa Monica, taking the like a, a room in an eight bedroom house. I never saw the other seven people that I lived with ever. And I cooked in that kitchen every day. Like I never saw them. Everyone was very much keeping themselves themselves. I had no mobile phone because in those days you couldn't, if you remember there was like tri-band and dual band phones or something, and you couldn't use a UK phone in the US or, and even though I was there for six months, that wasn't long enough to warrant getting a phone so I didn't have one I had no car so I used to travel by bus you know the one bus down Santa Monica Boulevard and through Westwood to UCLA and I remember calling my mom from a a payphone on campus about three or four months in and just crying and saying nobody talks to me I don't have any friends (laughs) and finding it very different to being at university here which okay fine I was going in at my first year no one knew anyone and of course everyone was was making friends but here I just found it the easiest thing in the world to make friends and in LA, it really, it was a slog. And eventually I joined like some dance classes and down on, is it Third Street, Fourth Street, whatever that street is in Santa Monica, making some friends there and one or two Mexican friends because I spoke Spanish, people, Mexican people from UCLA that I ended up becoming friends with. And But it it was a slog. It was a real slog to kind of, and, and even then, you know, I had family in Simi Valley. So I had people that I could go and visit at the weekend. I had one or two people that I already knew in town. So I'm prepared. I think this time I have more of a footprint. I have more friends there. Well, you're going for work. Yeah. Aren't you? Yeah. And work will take you places and you'll meet people. And, well, you know me, I'll turn you on to all sorts. And you know Dwayne. I do. So I do. it's going to be easy for you this time. But, you know, in terms of advice for people moving there, it is, you know, find somebody that's already there. Yeah, I agree completely. I think I'm very spoiled now in that I do have this sort of network of unconnected friends, but various different friends that, that are in LA that I very much lean on and I generally stay with them when I'm in town. And yeah, I don't know how I do it on my own, but I'm not on my own, so it's going to be fine. You're, well, also, if I may say, you're not going to have a problem. The last census, which I think was 2020, uh, the Hispanic population is 47%. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a Spanish-speaking city, really. If you are really interested in the whole of LA, it's a Spanish-speaking city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I was I was just mentioning before you joined that LA has the second highest Mexican population of any city in the world, and that's including cities in Mexico. Wow. Yeah. The you know the next biggest block is twenty nine percent white, and then just under twelve percent Asian. And and. My son is half Mexican, and so my son um, doesn't speak Spanish yet um, and doesn't have that much context about his background. So for me, it's going to be great for him to to really, really soak all of that up and understand a little bit more about his heritage. Brilliant. Um, the Mexican Day of the Dead at Hollywood Cemetery. One of the oh. best things you can do. Best thing. I mean, what a night. I, some friends of mine took me. And I just, it blew my mind. And I'd lived there for 
15 years or something. And I was like, why didn't I know about this? Brilliant. Okay, perfect. That is 100% going onto the list of things to do, especially because he's he's a fan of the the film Coco. So he'll, he'll get it a little bit. Anyway, this is not about me. Come on, we're talking about you. Let's let's yeah. let's go back. Let's go back. So you're in LA. It's the nineties. You yeah. It's the it's the eighties, and uh, I, I Kelly LeBrock is filming with John Hughes, um, Weird Science, a movie called Weird Science, and she she's an old friend from London, and she invites me out to the set, and I get to meet uh, John. And my life changes. You know, when your life, you get to one of those forks in the road and you know it. I mean, like you're in, your life is forking every day, but you just don't notice it. But when John Hughes says, well, do you want to, you know, become my music supervisor? You know it. And uh, Paramount got me a green card and I, I spent the next sort of 10 years half living in LA and half living here. And as I was saying to you before we started, you know, English people tend to start in Hollywood because that's what they know. We all fall in love with LA on the TV screen. We see LA on the movie screen or the TV screen. And that's the, and Hollywood was of course what you saw most of. So you start there and then you realize like all the glamorous places in America, Vegas, Broadway, Hollywood, they're actually a bit seedy and past their sell-by date. And you go, oh, oh, this isn't very nice. Well, it's not It's not very nice. It's just what else is there? And you start to head west, really in search of fresh air. And I went, I did the same thing. I went up a canyon because the air is fresher up the canyon. So you either go up or you go out. Right. I went up a canyon and then uh, in the end uh, ended up on on – Santa Monica, Venice. I built a house in Venice. That's what I ended up doing. Oh wow, amazing! Yeah. Oh, I love that. Venice is Venice is such a great place to live. And if, uh, foolishly, my ex-wife made me come back to England. If I'd stayed, I'd be a millionaire because the house, the property values just went through the roof. So another thing: buy somewhere when you get there. Well, that's the problem. How do I? So I own my place here in Manchester, but I mean. The, there's no translation between the value of properties here and the. I mean, I could take out the the money that I have here and no, probably wouldn't. Win. Yeah, for now, for now, I'm going to rent for a couple of years. Um, you know, match with Brad Pitt on a dating app, and then we'll buy somewhere together. It'll be fine. Cool. That's the plan. Good plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'll I'll figure that one out when I'm there. But yeah, the I mean the rent. He, for, versus Manchester, it's probably four times what it is here. It's expensive. Um, I mean, you earn more, but you spend more. I mean, one one of the things that's changed in the years since I first went there, since in the last forty years, is the density of the population. LA is famous for LA sprawl. You think of LA, you think, oh, yeah, yeah. no, it's actually it's the den- densest urban city in America now. What? Yes. Wow. Unbelievable. Mm. So many, because they're going up. Because of property prices became so expensive, instead of going out, they're going up. And everywhere you go in LA, you see the cranes. Right. Wow. Right. I want to know, because you, <laughs> your stories, your anecdotes must be incredible. So take me back. So you're in LA. You've been 
you befriended John Hughes, you're going to be working with him. I don't even understand how someone, I mean, this would be great. Tell, give me some tips how to do this. How do you transition from working in one industry to suddenly being in the film industry? It, well, you move sideways. It's, right. It wasn't completely, you know, what John wanted was my expertise in the music business. And what I wanted from him was to work in, in films mm -hmm. and understand that business. And so it was, it was a great uh, two-way street. I mean, he being the senior partner, obviously. Um, but, you know, he it was before internet. So you, he needed somebody like me in order to connect to demos, unreleased tracks, instrumental mixes, things that we take for granted now because they're on every box set or they're on Spotify. But back in that day, he needed somebody to connect him with all that. And that's what I was able to bring to his table. And it, it it proved very fruitful for us both. So you started out sort of on the music side. Was that with Ferris Bueller or have I got that wrong? Was that one of the earlier no, ones? No, I was very good. Ooh, you're very good. I've been doing my reading. He was, he was directing um, Weird Science. He was in post on Pretty in Pink and prepping Ferris Bueller when I started work. And then it just was heads down for three or four years of just non-stop filmmaking. He was always making uh, movies. Uh, he, he never stopped. He was in prep, shooting, and post always overlapping. Because he thought, if I have a bomb, if I have a miss, they won't give me another one. So I'll, I'll, I'll just keep... I'll already have started on the next one. It'll be too late. They can't stop me. Smart. I like it. Yeah, good thinking. Uh, exhausting, though. Absolutely exhausting. And so did you work with him sort of hand in hand every step of the way or did you kind of dip in and out how did that work no no he you know on the music he would send me the script and then he would send um uh, dailies you know edited dailies where he wanted music and we would try to find music for those scenes and and then we when the film was roughly edited we'd go to his house and have spotting sessions where we'd stay up all night just trying music against picture the whole time and then he'd go yeah great and you and and you'd sort of be elated. First, you'd be elated. Oh, great! John's likes yellow for Ferris Bueller. Oh, brilliant! And then you realise you've got no time. You've got to a get the rights, b get the tape because again, it wasn't you couldn't email things. You had to get a tape, you know. And it seems so easy, but FedEx was making a fortune out of us. <laughs> Honestly, just it's so exciting and captivating so and then the other the other movie that I personally really want to mention to you because it's a massive favorite in our house and has been since I was a kid Home Alone tell me Home about Alone. Home Alone good. well I was you know when you mentioned you had a kid I thought oh good she's going to be impressed by my credits you know as I think I mentioned earlier I imagine that going to Hollywood would be all gorgeous actresses and that they'd be very impressed that I you know produce films but of course you are a victim of your credits. And my biggest credit is obviously exec producer on, on Home Alone, which impresses kids. So, you know, if I go to a kid's party, I'm a big deal. But if I go <laughs> to one of your parties, it's like uh, Home Alone, yeah, big deal. Um, no, it's uh, it was fabulous. It, it was the first film I uh, produced. Um, and... Uh, it was an absolute delight working with Chris Columbus. He's a very nice man. Um, and 
uh, it was in, in immensely successful. And I went, oh, this is fun. This is good. I must be good at this. Yeah, yeah. Home Alone, you know, 500 million worldwide. Oh. Next three films all bombed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's Hollywood, right? Yeah, it's life, isn't it? Mm. You know, some some things are hits and some things aren't. Um, and you can't tell, really. You know, people say, well, did you know you were making such a hit film with Home Alone? And the answer is no, absolutely not. You were trying to make the best film you could under difficult circumstances. But you had no idea how good it was. And I remember the first preview, it was hell, because the film is structured very strangely. It, it has two-thirds build-up and one-third payoff. Hmm. You get you have two thirds set up the family leaving him getting ready the, the crooks wanting to get in the house and then the action and the action is all cartoon action it's like you're watching a cartoon but it's bang 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 and you know that first two thirds there was sort of polite laughter we were standing at, in you're watching the preview at the back and the audience is there and you're like this is we're not doing well here. And then you got to the last third and it just took off and you went, phew, okay, it's okay, we're, we're fine. You know, but you, you you never know. We thought we had a brilliant film with planes, trains and automobiles. And the audience, when we first showed it to them, they didn't like it. We did nine previews trying to fix it, trying to find what it was they didn't like. Oh, wow. I, I, I could ask you so many things about film, but I feel like we're going to get off topic. Because okay, honestly, back to it's LA. Fascinating. Back to LA. Okay, back to so, LA. Back to LA. So you 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 go to this day. You're still kind of to and fro between the places. So I want to know what is the thing or the things when you get back to LA. What are the things that you're excited to see or do? Do you have a chance to even? Do you have time to even see or do things like? What are the things yeah. that you kind of miss from LA? Well, the 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 food first. You've got Mexican, uh, Korean, uh, Japanese. I mean, it's spectacular, and and it's not expensive. It's I, I'm going to say street food, that, but you know, it it's normal food, and you're not going to fancy expensive restaurants to get really great food. Yeah, I really look forward to it. I I feel that. Funnily enough, I'm actually meeting someone who is from LA tonight for dinner who happens to be in Manchester he's coming to watch a Manchester City game and he asked me to book dinner and I was like oh what can I book that's going to be better than LA and so I was like do you want a roast or do you want Indian food because I was like that's the two things that I can think of that maybe you don't have so we're going for a roast but yeah the food in LA is I would agree it's it's outstanding although I was there um about 10 months ago and I felt like it suddenly had become relatively expensive versus how it had been maybe I was moving in different areas than than usual because I was spending a lot of time in West Hollywood and maybe that's particularly expensive for food but I felt for the first time ever potentially as well the exchange rate maybe but it felt it felt more expensive this time the exchange rate is brutal now uh, and prices are going up but if you live there long enough you find the places where it's not too bad what do you not miss what are you quite happy to step away from when you get on that plane and head back to the UK well the you know living in your car I mean you live in your car every journey is 45 minutes at least if you go across town it, it can be 90 minutes two hours 
um, and you sort of get out at the end of the day and you're all you know crinkled and out of shape and no wonder they all live in gyms right because they're not you know not getting any exercise so one thing I used to think was wild when I used to go and visit my um, aunt and uncle in Simi Valley and bear in mind Simi Valley is very suburban versus you know LA my aunt would go to the gym and the gym was about a quarter of a mile from her house and she would drive to the gym and I was like what why why are we not walking to the gym but it's such an American way of doing things yeah no you live in your car um get a good car get a comfy make sure your seat is comfortable get to know the good radio stations and the homelessness is a problem that you know it's upsetting I can't deny that and another thing that has you know gotten way worse along with the traffic, is the homelessness. And they are really trying to do something about it now. It got so bad that now there is a political will to do something about it. But it it is still bad. But to do something um, in a positive way, because I feel like that when, when LA has historically tried to do something about homelessness... Like clear it. That, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I meant positively in the sense okay. of building pods for them somewhere. But... You know, most of the people that are homeless uh, are have mental issues. Um, they self-medicate with drugs. And all of the programs um, that the government provides give them, either, say, you can't take drugs, which makes them feel bad, or you can't take those drugs, you've got to take these drugs, which don't make them feel as good. So there is a real reluctance from somebody with mental condition who's self-medicating to go for help. So, you know, it is a really tricky problem, this. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, And I remember having been, particularly in downtown LA, having been really shocked. um, Shocked. You can't believe it in a, a city this rich. In terms of places to visit in town, do you have any insider tips in terms of like hot spots or places that you would recommend to a friend maybe that was visiting yes um ladera heights ladera heights is on the westish side but it has and it's a park you walk uh, but at the top most spectacular view across la to downtown and to the mountains over there oh amazing it's really really lovely and and then I lived there for 20 years and I thought I knew LA. I knew the Crescent from sort of Hollywood through Bel Air and all the canyons and uh, Malibu and Santa Monica and Venice and Culver City and where all the studios are. And, you know, I was, I, I was proud of myself. I knew all the shortcuts and I knew where to get the good food. And, and then just before I, we moved back here, I suddenly, I suddenly went. Hold on a minute. LA's huge. What's going on down the road? And and it and it doesn't occur to you to drive to Inglewood, or to drive to Compton. It took me years to just go. No, no, you can just go down there. It, you know, you don't have to be invited. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, in when you said you wanted to talk about this, what to suggest to people. But it is to get in the car and go to the port of L.A. or go to Huntington Beach. They're very different. There's a whole different world going on down there. Orange County is where all the sports people gather. You know, it's it's like 
for Manchester, it's like where all the footballers live out. In, is it Chester? Yeah, Northern Edge. Uh huh. Yeah, that and Newport Beach is the same. And you go down there, and it's completely different. Oh, this is strange. And Huntington Beach, I went there for the first time last year. And I was like, how could I have lived in L.A. for 20 years and now it's the first time I'm going there? And, and you know, friends of mine, they say, where should we have dinner? I say, Koreatown. Koreatown? Why would we go down? Because the food's unbelievable. You know, so the older folk stay in Hollywood and, and those sort of fancy restaurants. Your age group, much more adventurous and, and career town. And then if you're going to live there and you you want to break from the city, which is a good idea, head out up to uh, up to Idlewild. I, I lived in Idlewild for a summer, which was brilliant. I rented my house to Jason Isaacs. Oh, my God. And while he was in my house, I moved to Idlewild with my wow. And it was fabulous. Or go out to the desert. Everybody goes out to Palm Springs. I like somewhere called Borrego Springs because it was small and dusty. And there's a hotel out there that was where all the hip uh, movie stars used to fly out at weekends. And then it, it burnt down in the in the 40s. And they rebuilt it in the 50s. Uh, and so it has that sort of 50s motel look, which I particularly like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it has the biggest pool in the world. It's absolutely enormous. So, you know, there's just great places, but go out. Don't just stay where you are. You've got a car, get in it. I think that's great advice. And, yeah, I'm so excited for weekend road trips. Really, really excited yeah. to get out and about and see. It's it's tough because it's a long drive. Because just to get out of L.A. is an hour minimum, and that's assuming no traffic. Mm -hmm. If it's traffic, two hours. But boy, it's worth it. What a beautiful state, California. You're so lucky to be moving there. It is glorious. Oh my goodness. Let's hope I am. Let's hope this visa comes through. <laughs> really well, you know, it. you know it is because of all the songs people write about California. Nobody's writing songs about Sussex. This is true. Or Manchester for that matter. Or Manchester. Even Oasis didn't write about Manchester, did they? Not really. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, but you know. Finally, Tarquin, what are you up to now and where can people find out a little bit more about you? I've done a, a number of TV series with Sky Arts uh, called On the Road with Brian Johnson. And we're, we're going to do another one, uh, but this time with his friend Mark Knopfler. And so we're, we're just prepping that to film this spring. Brian's book came out in October. The Lives of Brian, and that's been very successful. So we're looking at what else we can do with that. Uh, Stuart Copeland uh, has a book coming out this uh, spring, The Police Diaries. So I want to do a podcast on that. I just did a podcast on my years with John Hughes, uh, with Hadley Freeman, that I loved doing. It was so great. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I don't go to old school reunions. I've never what's the point I don't want to mm. but this made me go back and reconnect with all the people I worked with back in the 80s with John Hughes and it, and it was a lovely experience because you realize people have stories and they want to tell them and it, yeah. it was and it was just great 
Um, How, what's that one called? How can people find that's that? That's called Life Moves Pretty Fast. And it's on all of the pod, you know, Spotify and Apple and blah, blah, blah. I have a, a, a exec produce another podcast called Rock on Tours with um, Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt, where they talk to rock stars. You can see that it's all music. Mm-hmm. It's music, but a podcast or a book or a TV, because I move sideways. I don't jump. I did think one at one point when I was a bit depressed about something, I thought, oh, open a coffee bar. Uh, do you ever have that thought? You think, oh, I've sod this. I'm just, I want to do something completely different. You know, I just thought, I don't want to get up at six in the morning. I, no. You know, yeah. I, Jeff Lynn said he only became a musician so he could stay in bed all day. <laughs> Tarquin Gotch, it has been absolutely fantastic to have you on with us this week. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll catch you in LA. See you in LA on the west side on the west side the air is fresh <laughs> or Koreatown for food okay deal what a fantastic guest that was Tarquin Gotch music supervisor on Ferris Bueller's Day Off among other things and if you want to catch Ferris Bueller I just noticed it's about to come off Netflix at the end of January so now's your chance get in there watch it it's such a fun film you won't regret it and now you know who uh club the music together late at night in John Hughes's apartment over in LA so give it a watch thank you again so so much for joining us for sharing your feedback for all the wonderful subscriptions and all the people that have listened to the show from all around the world it's been honestly just really really humbling it's really blown my mind so I'm so glad that you're joining me and hand in hand with me sort of going on this journey hopefully ending up in LA. Now next week we're going to take a look at some of the elements of the move that I'd already been looking at, you know, the house, the school, obviously my work situation, and I'll I'll share a little bit more detail about how that's been going. And hopefully by then I might have a little bit more to say about my visa. We'll see. So if you like the podcast, please, please, please rate and review it. Subscribe if you don't like it don't rate and review it keep it to yourself if you want to share any feedback with me if you've got any suggestions of guests or topics that you'd like me to cover i'm on instagram i'm at lc underscore presents catch you in the next episode and hopefully before too long i'll catch you in LA. bye